0: What's up guys? This is Taking the Field with Stevie Mac. And on this episode, I wanna talk about the evolution of Michigan's lacrosse program. This is something I've seen throughout this season on Twitter, on lacrosse Twitter. I've seen people talking about is Michigan one of the worst college lacrosse expansion teams in recent memory just because of how much they've struggled in the first this their 10th year of division one college lacrosse so I want to go through and and kind of go through the evolution of their lacrosse program over the past 10 years or so now in division one lacrosse almost kind of like a history lesson if you will in this case for this episode but as I mentioned they're in their 10th year now as a division one program and they had been a powerhouse at the club level under head coach. Paul at that time and they decided to go division one after the 2011 season and in this case most teams I think would have taken a year or two is what you you usually see. They take a year or two to be able to recruit and develop their program to get ready to make that jump to the Division One level. But Michigan was different in this case. They they opted not to do that, from what I remember. They opted to go f- straight from club to Division One from 2011 into the 2012 season. So they really missed out on having that opportunity and that ability to recruit for a year or two and really bring their program to a position where they could be able to compete right away at the division one level. And so because of that, for those first two, three years or so, a lot of the guys that they were playing with on those teams, those first couple of years were guys that they had back in those final years at the club level, trying to bring them up to that division one level. And, and that's a big jump to make going from club to division 1 cuz you're passing NAIA, you're passing D3, D2 all the way up to division 1. So that's a big jump that they were that they were attempting to make in those first few years. Now if you go back to the years prior to 2012, they did have a really really good program as I mentioned they they were a powerhouse at the club level. In the four years prior to 2012, that first year of Division One, they had gone and combined 76-2 and two in those four years, including back-to-back-to-back national champions, and made it to the final four in that final year of club lacrosse in 2011. So this was a very, very good team. But again, like I said, making that jump from club to Division One from one year to the next is a very, very big jump to attempt to make. And I think they learned that sort of the hard way uh, within the first few years there. But they joined the ECAC conference. They played teams like Fairfield, Bellarmine, and a team that would later join them in the Big Ten conference now in Ohio State. But if you go back and look at some of their schedules from those first couple years, they also played a lot of top 20 teams on a regular basis. And if you look at the scores from those games, they stayed competitive for the most part in, in many of those games, I'd say nine times out of 10, they were very competitive on the scoreboard in those games. You didn't see a whole lot of games that were 20 to five, you know, uh, uh 22 to, Ten type of things yes they did have a few of those games here and there maybe once a season but it's not like they were running out there every game and just taking their beating and and moving on to the next game type of thing they they for the most part were very competitive against the teams that they went up against and again a lot a lot of those teams were those top 20 caliber teams and when you look at the, the 2014 season in particular, that was their third year of Division I lacrosse. They lost to a top-15 Cornell team in overtime, and then they lost a few weeks later to another top-15 team in Fairfield by one goal and I believe I was actually at that game, it was one of the first lacrosse games that I had ever watched live in person, so it was a really fun uh, opportunity for me to watch that game. But again, they took a top 15 Fairfield team to, to a one goal game in just their third year of Division 1 lacrosse. And then later that season in 2014, they actually made the ECAC tournament where again they matched up with Fairfield in the first round and lost but they at least made the postseason that year. And their goal differential in 2014 in ECAC play, again, it wasn't like they were going out there and losing by 10 or 15 every game. Their, their goal differential that year in conference play was minus three and a half. So they weren't losing games by 10 or 15. They were losing games by two, three, four goals each time. And I One of the biggest things that I remember about this team early on, about this program really, and what John Paul was able to do as head coach was the way that he was able to promote this program and was able to market it to the people in the state of Michigan. And one of the biggest things that he did, I'm not sure if this was common practice already or if this is something that he kind of brought to the Division I landscape of college Across. but one thing that they did that I thought was really special and really cool and something that I witnessed myself on more than one occasion was that they played a game right before the Michigan football spring game on a spring Saturday where you figure... In the big house, you have probably for the spring game about 60, 70, 80,000 people on hand for that spring game. So when you bump it right up against that Michigan spring game in the hours right before that what you have is a captive audience of 60, 70, 80,000 people all now witnessing a lacrosse game. And for, I'd say probably about 98% of that crowd, probably for the first time ever watching a lacrosse game. So one of the cool things about that was when you arrived at the stadium that day, a few hours before that that uh, football spring game and the lacrosse game was getting underway was that when you arrived at the stadium the ushers were handing out the programs with the rosters and the stats and things like that that you would normally see at a lacrosse game but one of the things that was interesting was that it also featured a lot of the rules of the game as well so that fans could actually follow along in the stands while they were sitting there watching it so For instance, if a guy took a shot and it went off the end line and let's say Michigan kept possession on offense if somebody was sitting there wondering hey if they shot it out of bounds why should they keep possession the rules were right there in front of them to be able to say oh okay so this is how this works if it's a shot it's whoever's closest to the ball if it's a pass out of bounds obviously it's a turnover like you and I all know this but to the to the average person sitting there in the stands they might not have known that but so that was one thing that I thought was very interesting that they included and I'm sure to this day I I still have that program somewhere hidden in my house I'll have to go dig that one up after I get done doing this episode because that was something that for me at a young age I was probably seventh or eighth grade at the time was something that was very cool because I myself was just starting to get introduced to the sport of lacrosse but then in 2015 the the Wolverines joined the big 10 conference as their fourth year in division one and this was probably a little bit jarring for them. I think that they were just starting to figure out how to play at the mid-major level in a conference like the ECAC playing against the teams that I mentioned that they played against on a almost year-to-year basis, but then you make that jump now to the Big Ten Conference, and now you're going up against teams like Maryland, like Johns Hopkins, like Rutgers. Teams that are East Coast teams, they're seen as some of the blue bloods of college lacrosse. And then you also have to remember that at this time, teams like Ohio State and Penn State were really starting to elevate themselves onto that national landscape in college lacrosse as well. So you look at the 2015 season, in their first season of Big Ten play, they won their first Big Ten conference game in just their second ever attempt when they beat Rutgers and they had a chance for win number two in Big Ten play in the final game that year against Penn State, which they lost 10 to nine. So really their best stretch since joining the Big Ten came later on in 2017 and 2018 when they went eight and six in both years for a combined 16 and 14 record overall, but they went just one and nine in conference play. In 2017, they Every Big Ten team at one point or another was ranked in the top 15 when Michigan played them that year, so a very, very tough conference schedule. Like I said, it's not easy being in one of the first few years as a Division one program and having to play a top 5-ranked Maryland team or you know, a top 10-ranked Johns Hopkins team or whatever the case may be. And then in 2018, they went 7-2 and two in the non-conference, including a huge road win against Notre Dame. But then they went 1-4 in conference play, beating just Penn State in overtime on the road, which again was a big, big win for the program. And they finished 5-2 and two at home that year, so a big stepping stone, I think, for the program that year was being able to handle their business at home the way that they did. So now you fast forward to 2021 and this team has a a young core that they can definitely build around over the next two, three years or so at least where six of their top eight scores this year are juniors or younger. And five of those six are freshmen or sophomores. You look at guys like Michael Bame, who's a freshman. He was the number 22 overall player, according to inside lacrosse, coming out of, uh, coming out of high school. Excuse me. He was the number 10 attackman in high school as well. Then you got guys like Josh Zawada, uh, Bonomi, Jacob Jackson, Kyle Stevenson, all sophomores. Those are all guys that are, again, younger than juniors, and they're all some of the leading scorers on this Michigan team this year. Then you look on the defensive side, you've got guys like Jack Whitney, who's played really well in stretches this year. Andrew Darby's a junior, one of the Leaders of that defense this year, and then a guy like Michael Cosgrove, who's a D mid, who's also a sophomore. And I gotta admit, Cosgrove's had some rough stretches this year. But when you look at some of the matchups he's drawn in some of these Big Ten games, as the Big Ten is playing a conference-only schedule this year, he, he's had some really tough matchups that he's drawn this year. I know in the first game, when they played Maryland he had the assignment of defending Kyle Long in their first game and Kyle Long's a really fast really athletic midfielder who when he gets a step on you forget about it and I think you saw that more than a few times in that game in week one was that they just had trouble keeping up with guys like that but then you look at the goalie position and faceoff, and they are really strong with a couple juniors at these positions. John Kirikoff is an absolute stud, in my opinion, in the cage for the maze blue. We'll get to him in a minute. But then Nick Rowlett at faceoffs is another junior, and he can almost win games for you at face-off, where he faces off at 56% on the year, which is good for third in the Big Ten, and he's also first in the Big Ten in ground balls and games, so a guy like Nick Rowlett can quite honestly win you lacrosse games, and I would argue that his performance a few weeks ago against Penn State and Ann Arbor, when I had the call on BTN Plus that afternoon, his performance almost single-handedly won the Wolverines that game, but I think it was also due to the fact that Bryce Clay went for a season-high six goals in that game as well, but Nick Rowlett was a big part of that win. And then, like I said, going back to a guy like Kirikov, he had a career-high 17 saves in that game against Penn State a few weeks ago, and followed that up just this past weekend against Johns Hopkins on Easter with 16 saves, and he's third in the Big Ten in saves per game overall. So I think with all of that being said, taking a look back at the last nine years or so of Michigan lacrosse and how we've gotten to this point, I think some of the biggest takeaways for me here are that Michigan really could have benefited as a program from playing another year or two, possibly in that ECAC conference before making that jump to the Big Ten, but then again, they didn't really have much of a choice. Once the Big Ten came out with that lacrosse conference, they, they really had no choice but to join. But I do think that had the Big Ten waited maybe another year or two to form that lacrosse conference, Michigan could have really benefited from that extra year or two from playing at that mid-major level. But then another thing is I, I also think that they should have taken that year or two to be able to recruit before making that jump to the Division I level. I think that by losing out on those couple of years where they had the ability to do that if they wanted to. I know in the past, other teams have taken that opportunity to do so, and not necessarily teams that have jumped up to the Division One level, but teams that have jumped from club to the Division Two level. I know a team like Davenport did that. I remember back in 2016 when I was at Oakland University, I played against Davenport at the club level, and then shortly thereafter, they prepared to make that jump to Division Two, which I don't believe they actually executed until this year. So they did have that couple of years in between where they were able to develop their program in preparation for playing at the D2 level. So again, I think Michigan really set themselves back a little bit by not giving themselves that kind of an opportunity. So I think that now they're, they've been trying to play catch up for the last several years. But that'll do it for this episode of Taking the Field with Stevie Mack. Make sure to like, comment, and share on this post. Let me know what you guys think of this Michigan program and the future that they possess. Because I personally think that if you were to buy stock in the Michigan program, you would want to do it right now for the exact reasons that I laid out about the team that they currently have. They've got a lot of sophomores and a lot of juniors. They have some really talented young guys that they can build a core around over the next few years. But you can also check out past episodes of the podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Anchor, Google, Apple, basically anywhere you guys get your podcasts. And that will do it for me. I'll talk to you guys later.